When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. Today we go over Teddy Bridgewater and the role confidence can play in his all-important third season with the Vikings. Then we talk about the different position groups on this team heading into this summer. What are the deepest and what do we think are the weakest on each side of the football? Then, is there a war on information hitting the sidelines of the NFL? There was an interesting article in The Ringer which discusses that topic, a couple rule proposals on the table, and some comments from Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, certainly seems like he's in line with what Mike Zimmer thinks about the issue. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And of course by ESPN.com's Ben Gessling. Hi, Andrew. Take two, gentlemen. Take two. Yep. And you know what they say? The more you practice you get, the better you get. You're back-to-back five-hour radio days, Judd. No one wants to hear about it. They just want to hear. They don't want to know how the... What's the Zimmer line? How the sausage is made. Tell me about the labor. Just show me the baby. Show me the baby. Exactly right. People just want to see the finished product. The podcast that you will never hear was one of our best, but we will try to replicate it today. Maybe we'll have a bloopers reel at some point. But today, guys, we're going to talk about some of our biggest takeaways from OTAs now with a couple weeks. Um, We've spoken with Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Khalil in the past couple days. There is one theme surrounding them uh, that's really dominating throughout all sports when we're talking about professional athletes, but especially these two, it's going to hinge um, greatly on how this Vikings offense produces in 2016. And also the Pro Bowl is changing. I know you guys are into that, so we'll get to that. Oh, I can't wait for that to happen. That's great. <laughs> I, I so enjoy that game. All right, guys. So we talked to Teddy Bridgewater yesterday. The one motto or the one theme you can kind of see through and what the Vikings want to see out of him entering this third season is take charge and take command. And I want to explore the tightrope that he is going to be walking uh, in 2016. 
Uh, one that really is a guy, the biggest, one of the biggest knocks on him coming out of college was he's not assertive. Is he going to be an on-field leader? Is he going to be a guy people follow? All the buzzwords that you hear uh, surrounding quarterbacks. And that's still a question mark him, even in his third year, I think, even though he's been a, a two-year starter. Would you agree, Ben? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think, you know, assertive in the sense of <clears throat> you want a guy that's going to be maybe not loud and demonstrative, but a guy that's going to sort of be able to command the room and get everybody to, to turn and look when he has something to say. I don't know if he is that guy. I mean, I maybe he has the ability to do that, and maybe it's I don't feel like I've been able to do that so far because I'm young and, and people don't want to hear from a young kid. But at this point now, like, you've got to do it. And I, I think they I think he has people, older players, telling him that he's got to do it, and it's a matter of now seeing if he can. The one thing I guess that I, I do go back to that makes me think that he can do it is something Mike Zimmer talked about the night he was drafted is that you had all of these kids from Miami that went not to one of those big schools in Florida, whether it's Florida FSU or the U, um, not the University of Minnesota. It, nobody calls it the U except us. <laughs> um, but th- those kids went to Louisville with Teddy Bridgewater because they wanted to follow Teddy Bridgewater there and they thought he could help them win. How much of that is – from kids that were being recruited at those other schools. I don't know. I mean, we, it's hard to verify that. But Mike Zimmer did sort of say that as a, an anecdote about Teddy Bridgewater being the type of guy that people will follow. Now he's got to be able to do that in the pros if, in fact, he is that guy. Yeah, and the most important thing that I wanted to get to with these two guys is that confidence, that with both uh, Teddy Bridgewater and then we'll talk about Matt Khalil as well, two guys that really their confidence has either been questioned or been wondered about whether they can express it that arrogance maybe you want to see from an NFL quarterback on the field and with both of those guys Teddy specifically it's going to be a a tightrope he's walking when whether or not he's going to be given uh, the freedom to control more of the offense when he didn't maybe have such control the past two years being a rookie under a veteran offensive coordinator with a hall of fame running back Adrian Peterson behind him um, and then Teddy himself wanting to kind of work his way into the locker room and not assume any leadership. This is that this is that year, and people might make fun of it and saying it's a narrative, but this is the year. That third year for a quarterback is going to be a year, a decided year that you look back on and go, okay, was it a turning point for him or not? Uh, if he doesn't, if he, if Teddy Bridgewater goes out there, whether right or wrong, he could win 11 games, throw 14 more touchdown passes, have the same exact year, and people are still going to wonder, is Teddy Bridgewater the long-term answer? And the biggest thing to me now is seeing Going forward, is he going to be able to balance that tightrope between what he wants to do? Because this was an 11-win team last year, and Teddy's at the end of it saying, Judd, with what I was asked to do, I felt I did a good job. Right, and I think there's a lot of interpretation to what he was saying also, though, which was he went into the first game last season believing the offense would be one thing, and then they had to start adjusting to the offense more to Peterson because Bridgewater and Peterson weren't good at the same thing. The leadership thing is such an interesting dynamic to me because I don't believe that you can just anoint yourself the the guy that walks into a locker room and says, "Okay, I'm the guy." If you're if you have that, it's great. Well, I mean, some might have said that Jameis Winston did it last year. I mean, right, right, but I don't. Like but that. I don't think I don't think professional athletes will just buy into that. I think you need to have that that intangible, and it's tough. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys try to have that, and they don't. Christian Potter. That doesn't, yeah, and well, and the twins. I mean, Tory was a classic example of a, the, the twins finally got that right, and they fi- and and you know they tried to bring back um, Jason Bartlett, you know, who was cooked at the time. Jason Kubel, 
who was a nice player for them the first time. But those guys, they thought, oh, man, you know, the young players will listen to these guys. Well, they don't. Now, Tory walked in that clubhouse, and that all changed because Tory has it. But that doesn't mean Bridgewater can't be successful. But I think the most important starting point from an intangible standpoint for Bridgewater is to be who he is because if he tries to overstep that boundary, a lot of pro athletes see through that crap. So that that's where this gets to be interesting to me because if you walk in and say, okay, now this is my team, you all shut up and listen, guys say, what? What are you talking about? So that that's where this, to me, is a layered discussion of what Bridgewater can do and should do. And I firmly believe this. This will not be Bridgewater's offense or team completely until Peterson's gone because I don't believe that Bridgewater has the ability, and I think he's smart enough, too, to know that he can't walk in there and say, yeah, you know what, Peterson's a nice player, but now this is my offense and my team. So it becomes a very interesting dynamic to me that ha- has lots of layers as we see sort of the evolution of this potentially becoming more Bridgewater's offense. Well, yeah, and I think the important thing you brought up too, Judd, is that you can't necessarily tell people to follow you. Obviously, it's something that has to be done, shown by example, all those things. And you talk to people with, with the Vikings, and Ben, you know this, whether you're talking to players or coaches, they notice people gravitating around Teddy already and they have the first couple years uh, I mean in the locker room off the field he's he's running um the the Teddy Bridgewater to what was it the two gloves passing Teddy, academy two gloves thing passing academy um where That's he's what got call that, I think. all the receivers and tight ends down in Miami giving fancy funny names to his uh passing practices he wants to put together but the point is is that he is having that now but the question is 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 will he be able to take that control on the field and make that pass when it's a little risky or or it it has to translate over to the field and that's the question there's a lot of positives with this kid and and there's a lot of reason why they believe in him Um, I'm just really interested in seeing I think we talk about Trey Waynes we talked about Shree Floyd last week and all the injuries and stuff but uh, another intriguing factor is going to be whether or not Teddy and they let him take the reins of that offense, especially with Adrian back there. We don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, we don't. And I think, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit before on how much freedom he's going to have. This is not an offense, and we'll see if any of this changes with some of the new voices in there, but this has not been an offense that gives its quarterbacks a lot of freedom the way we know it in the modern NFL at the line of scrimmage. I, I had a Somebody told me last year that uh, they had a player come in from another team. They were in a, a goal line situation in practice, and it was pretty obvious that it wasn't going to work. And the player turns around in the huddle and says, aren't we going to audible out of this? And uh, the response he got was, no, we don't really do that here. So We, we don't audible out of things here in Minnesota. Right, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it w- it was something where, I mean, I know that player, that player had come from playing with a veteran quarterback who had a lot of freedom in the offense and I know he was pretty surprised to hear that I mean I some of that whether that's Norv Turner and sort of how he's always done it and that being his belief that this is how my system works best and I don't need to to change it in that regard or whether it's I have a young quarterback and I have to give him a little bit more rope at a time we'll find that out but I do think that expecting him to come in and have as much freedom as a guy like Peyton Manning or a guy like Aaron Rodgers probably is not in the cards. No, not I, I think that would be beyond the realm of reasonable expectations for a guy in Teddy's shoes, especially when we talk about Adrian being still the focal point of this offense, no matter how it's going to look. Um, 
it's important to note too that Norv Turner, even even though he might be the guy who's restricting freedom, it led San Diego with Philip Rivers, and Philip Rivers had all the freedom in the world uh, when he was uh, with the Chargers, and so you that was the freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my that's my that's it. my point. Yeah, is, I, is that Norv is not a guy though who's just saying no. Right. I'm going to call the shots. Doesn't matter who you are. It's because it's the rookie or the young yeah, guy, I, and Teddy, I mean, that you're saying okay. But I want to know now. Teddy seems to want to take on more. Yeah. And, and he's Mike Zimmer's on one side saying be more assertive. Teddy's in the middle saying, well, I'm doing what I'm asked to do. And and then you've got to wonder where, where's the middle point that they're going to find. I mean, Norv has coached Troy Aikman. He coached Drew Brees when he first started to take off in San Diego. He's coached Phillip Rivers. I mean, he's had enough veteran quarterbacks that I think it's fair to say that once those players demonstrate that they have earned the right to more freedom, that they get it. The question, I guess, is what happens in that sort of metamorphosis part where you're going from young guy to established guy how quickly do you get that freedom, and is Norv a little slower to hand it over than others might be because he's seen what it takes and and sort of maybe he's a little more skeptical in how quickly he's willing to do that. But to Kramer's point, in year three, this has to progress. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and when the coaching staff talks about the fact that Teddy's got to throw uh, the football into windows more often and it might be tight, but he's got, got to do it, the only way that you're going to give him the confidence that he's going to say, okay, I'll do this, is if you start to take the training wheels off, uh, if not slowly, quicker than they did in, in year two for him. Because he's going to be a lot more hesitant to make mistakes if he's basically told – no, we're doing it this way, and you can't you know, go to checks. I think part, part of the interesting thing about quarterback plays is this, too. Audibles are misunderstood in this sense. A lot of teams don't have full-on just go ahead and change the play. I mean, if you're, if you're Favre in his prime or Manning or those guys, yeah. but I'm talking about— You don't have access to the whole playbook at the line right, of scrimmage. Right. If you go—you know, there's very few quarterbacks in this league that can go to the line of scrimmage, dissect a defense, and immediately say, I'm changing the entire play. But what you do have is checks. And there are some teams that that limit what they want from checks from their quarterbacks, and that gets to be dicey because that's when you don't check into a play that you should, and a play fails because the coaching staff said it should work as opposed we, to here's some freedom for it if it, if you think it's not going to work. We heard to, Teddy say it in Arizona last yeah, December. Yeah, I was just going to say, to my understanding, Norv Turner even said it too when he was pressed and asked, was there a check for Teddy to get out of that play? And Norv Turner said there's no reason it was a good play. There was no yeah, reason to check no out No reason it. to check out It was it. a good play. And even so, after Teddy tried to basically, as close as Teddy will get, lay the hatchet at Norv's feet saying, I – wanted to check out of this play, but I didn't have the option. That's as close as he'll get to saying it. The stubbornness of saying that is a good play, to me, that's problematic because if I trust my quarterback, I want him to have the ability to have at least something else to go to that he's comfortable with. What you don't want to do to Bridgewater in year three is continue to put him in positions where he's not comfortable because that's where mistakes are going to be made, and, and I don't care who it comes back on, Failure gets set up by that. It's a good play if you have the people to execute it properly. I mean, that play, Bridgewater made this point very clear, was you had two guys running crossing routes, and he was trying to wait till they got to the right hash. If you have an offensive line you trust to protect long enough, which they didn't have last year, that play might have worked just fine. But in that situation maybe that wasn't the right thing, and maybe you need to give your quarterback a little more rope there. Yeah, I think one of the things Teddy said, too, last year about the offense, and and it's really – it's easy to pinpoint his comments because they're, they're pretty few and far between when they are pointed criticisms of, of what was going on or maybe some open honesty about it because he's very much in the Russell Wilson school of um, quarterbacking cliches, I guess. But with Teddy, he said something last year about how I wish we wouldn't test our offensive line as much. 
And yeah. that, that, that's exactly saying what you just said. Yeah. When you do a, a kind of long crossing route on a player trying to get in a field goal position as the clock is ticking down, that's the last thing you want is a five, seven step drop with your left tackle struggling. I don't remember him saying that. I'm, I'm sure he did. But or maybe it was Mike Zimmer. Maybe I got that mixed up. Somebody, yeah, I might have gotten right that mixed on that. Up. And that, that would be in keeping with some of the things that I think Mike Zimmer believed, that I've heard Mike Zimmer believed last year, too. Okay. I, I think Mike probably would have agreed with Teddy on more well, things. And didn't Zimmer than... come out at the press conference the next day or a couple days after that, that Arizona game and basically question the play? Yeah, he did. He said he didn't like So the he call. was siding with Bridgewater yes. then to say to probably say there at least should have been something else that Bridgewater could have gone to a little bit different because of his not being comfortable. Yes. Which is a good thing for the head coach to say, and which is why sometimes then during <clears throat> the ensuing offseason, you might bring in some different people to have ideas. I was going to say this is all under the umbrella of one of Judd's pet issues. On, We've um, hit them both now, right? Uh, what was the other one again? Peterson and Bridgewater training the well, We have not gotten to Peterson yet. Well, really, he, really. he brought up sort of well. whether it's going to be Teddy's team or not. I mean, <laughs> well, the Shermer basically one. anything you bring up with the offense, Judd will take to one of those two places. The it's Shermer like water one, I think, is interesting. Level. I think the Sh- I think the Shermer edition is very interesting. I think a you West- do. I was just going to say this is all You've under. Never I think this a up, West Judd. Co- I think a West Coast guy coming in is very interesting. This is all That's under the it. umbrella of them overhauling perhaps this offense and or at least bringing in new ideas and, and redoing what they want to do um we're gonna have to find out what that looks like but that's that's all under the umbrella of that teddy entering his third year and, and pat Shermer and tony sperano coming in and bringing in new ideas we but, should get off this this is an 11 to 5 team we're being way too negative we should talk about something else no no the potential here you've been reading the comment section the potential here is just, just too great just reacting to what i've been told <laughs> no no we are on the we're on the why not win 12 or 13 bandwagon that's what we're on now 16 and 0, 19. That, that's what we're talking about. I think it's interesting. Well, I th- what I think is interesting is that this podcast is growing and there are new people coming in and don't understand necessarily what we're doing for for crying out loud, we're called the Purple Podcast, and our intro is the Skull like Skull Viking song. So it really doesn't represent well what we're trying to do here. It doesn't, guys. It doesn't. And I it, need a new intro. I haven't told the right people that apparently, but it doesn't because what we're trying to do is objective analysis. Entertain, in an entertaining fashion, because this is where Ben and I, two current reporters, can join the former reporter on in his platform, yeah, the retired. radio hot takes kind of beat writer emeritus. Hey, so so question for both you guys: What should Bridgewater's culpability is probably too strong a word? What should Bridgewater's uh, role be in simply expecting improvement from him? Because we talk about the coaching, talk about the offensive line should be improved. There's a lot of things around Bridgewater that you would think would would help him out. But just flat out as we sit here in the first part of June, what should the expectation be for Bridgewater in year three to take a step, even if nothing else goes as planned? I guess from my perspective, if you get him to a point where, A, he is throwing the ball downfield a little bit more, and I I will completely agree to the caveat that that has to come with better protection. I think we've all agreed to that. And I'm assuming if, if you have that, A, he has to throw the ball downfield a little more productively. B, you see him throw more touchdowns because either there are big plays or he can find guys in contested areas in the in the end zone. If you get him to say twenty two touchdowns, twenty five touchdowns, I think they live with a few more interceptions. I mean, you don't want to throw game losing plays in the last you know game losing picks in the last two minutes. But if he takes a shot every once in a while and he throws a pick, I don't think they're going to tear his head off. So. A lot of it to me is if if the interceptions go up to 12 or 13 and that's in exchange for 400 yards more passing and another 
seven, eight, nine, ten touchdowns, I think they'd take that trade. I, I don't think that's a big issue. The the sort of I have to avoid mistakes mentality. I don't think they're as married to that as he might be. Yeah, Judd, to, to your question, I, I think Teddy's kind of culpability, I guess, or the the burden on his shoulders to improve in this third year is going to hinge largely on what what they ask him to do. What we were just getting at is is Adrian going to take three hundred and thirty handoffs again? Because if so, then what do you expect out of Teddy? I expect basically what we saw last year. Um, but if they're now going to pivot back to that Teddy offense that you saw, the kind of spread stuff that he's more comfortable with, or at least he was earlier in his career, um, and the stuff, remember now, the best stretch of his career probably individually for Teddy was the last, what, six games of his rookie season? Yes. That is the offense that they wanted to carry over. Mm-hmm. And Adrian just couldn't fit into it. Right. And so now I wonder, do they pivot back into that? And then you raise the expectations for Teddy. Um, but if this offense still wants to be clock control, ground and pound, and just let the defense carry the way, then I just think you expect Teddy to be a game manager like he was. But here's the thing. With Ben's risk-reward issue with Teddy where he wants to play it safe, he wants to take the dump off, Teddy's arm strength isn't really – I mean, Teddy has a reason to be hesitant about certain things because it's not like he's got the arm to fire it into the tight windows. And the biggest thing with me and that arm with him is going to be whether or not he's able to at least have the depth in the routes. I mean, because I don't expect him to fire in one tight window 25 yards on a post route. I just don't expect that. Yeah. Um, But is it going to be something where they curtail the offense now to his skill set more so? Well, we saw him do it. I mean, And I don't know that it's – you have to be able to put a – you know, an out route 18 yards down the field from the opposite hash. I mean, you know, some of those throws that are you see quarterbacks make that are the toughest throws in the NFL, yeah, yeah. Um, tougher than throwing the ball down the field, certainly, I, I think. But, um, you know, we've seen him do things at times based more on anticipation and timing than having this rocket arm. I, I can remember throws his rookie year where he would throw Greg Jennings open. He, I remember a couple plays late in that season where, Jennings is is you know Teddy's on the right hash and Jennings is making a move out to the left and and Teddy throws it right on point right when the ball needed to come out and he threw the guy open because of that it it wasn't like it was a you know sling it through two guys sort of take, break the receiver's yeah. hands Brett Favre type throw yeah it's timing it's anticipation and I think those things he probably does well enough to make it work. I mean, that was Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning never had a big arm. Peyton Manning was the best at knowing exactly where he needed to throw the ball and exactly when he would have a window to do it. Teddy is not Peyton Manning. I'm not saying that for a second. But there is a little bit of something to shoot for in the sense of I can get by without having a big arm if I am the smartest guy on the field and I have a good sense of what is going to happen on a particular play at a particular time. Let's pivot now and talk about the different positions on the offense and defense. Depth, after we saw last year, team was thought it was prepared well uh, for certain areas. And heck, 11-5 and five division title, it panned out all right. But you saw the offensive line get worn down, linebackers get worn down, tried to bolster those spots. Gentlemen, I want to ask both of you what you think is the deepest and the weakest position group as we sit on June 3rd with the Minnesota Vikings on each side of the football uh, Judd, you had an interesting one on defense that I want you to start with, the deepest position. Uh, well, the one deepest, most confident would be cornerback. Based on this, it's Zimmer's baby. I mean, there's no position. He still is so hands-on there. And their cornerback. Cornerbacks are so vital in this day and age in such a passing league. And when you look at, at what they've done, 
Xavier Rhodes has turned himself into a pretty nice player. Uh, Captain is certainly decent in the slot. They've now got depth behind him. I'm going to go on the fact that uh, Trey Waynes, although we could be concerned, is he developing, blah, blah, blah. I think Trey Waynes, as I've told you this before, guys, he has, he has a blessing and a curse. The blessing is he's working with a head coach that cares about his position probably more than any other position group on the football field. The curse is the coach cares about that position that much, and so his, <laughs> his life is tougher. But if you just look, I mean, you just go back a couple of years to where this team was at cornerback-wise when it came to depth and talent and Aaron Rodgers licking his chops to play the Vikings. A.J. Jefferson. It was just, and it was so easy. Chris and, Cook. And they'd all get turned around. Josh Robinson in the and, slot. Yeah, and they'd all be turned around, oh. and Cutler and Rodgers, and, and you just go down the list of quarterbacks that just ate these guys up. I think cornerback is a position that the Vikings needed a huge improvement at, and they got it. Remember that so. game, Zimmer's first year in Chicago, where the Bears' whole offense was – we're going to find where Josh Robinson is on the field. Yeah. Throw at him oh, every it was three time. T- it was three Josh. touchdowns, right? Yeah. I mean, it basically One to Marshall, was, two to Jeffrey. Is that yeah. Or Josh? It was like, we have Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall, and they have six inches on this guy. Well, when they and went, he can't cover him. And when they went three wide, it was even worse because then you had Munderland, I believe, and Josh yeah. on the field at the same Munderland, time. And it was take, a good year. take your pick. Yeah. Well, just the shorter guys, too, with their giants that yeah, they had but, there with, because they, yeah. they still had Marshall and Jeffrey. Josh yeah. Robinson, though, was lost. And that poor kid, I, here's the thing is, I kid. I feel bad for him, though, that when they released Antoine and so Winfield got let go and they and Les put that kid in the slot to play the slot. And at that uh, at the first OTA, I think reporters went up and said, OK, so you played in the slot Florida, you know, in, in college, uh, Florida State, I think it was. And he said, no, I've never played here in my life. He said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> that was actually, you know what? You know what that was? Behind the scenes, Les was banging the table well, to bring Winfield back. And le- and and that move, though, the hubris of that move to let Winfield go and to think that a kid that had never played the slot, which is a hybrid cornerback linebacker, basically, yeah. that was up until Miguel Sano was moved to right field, that was the dumbest position change in local sports. That was beyond stupid. Until they moved Sano to right yeah, field. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, you knew that was going to fail. Josh Robbins, you knew that was going to fail. Yeah. This kid was it was hard it was difficult for him to play the outside corner and his confidence was sort of shaky but maybe he would have had a chance to develop there once they moved him in the slot he was done i don't know how we got on josh robinson but corners just the corners going progress they've made yeah the corners going from being a a liability and one of the weakest groups on the team to me not only a strength but also there's depth there too because they could continue to draft corners ben what is the strongest position group on this defense I would say defensive line, um, and specifically probably defensive end. And you could you could maybe make the case that they should have one more guy there, and maybe Scott Crichton, the, the former third round pick, finally figures it out this and year. Justin Tratow too. Yeah, I mean you you could you could go with one of those, but you have Everson Griffin, who's been fantastic at the right side the last two years. You have Daniil Hunter, who looks like a guy that if he turns into an every down player or a consistent player on the left side and you have those two on the ends yeah good luck and then you have Brian Robinson who would I thought was still very functional last year I I would expect his role could diminish he's a little their bit. most burstable defensive yeah end. And they moved him inside all the time he was capable of doing that I yep. think you know they dropped him in coverage I mean you can drop Hunter in coverage you can drop Griffin in coverage yep. They have all these sort of, and you know, Stephen Weatherly. That's a that's a project, but that's that same kind of guy where you can drop him into coverage and do all these kind of freaky things with him that uh, offensive lines don't know how to handle. So, 
and the that's, fact that you have all these guys, there's a lot there to like. And, and overall, with the line, I mean, Joseph Floyd, I mean, Tom Johnson, that that whole group is really good. But you have injury concerns in the middle. The ends for me are the are the, the one I have the most confidence in. And from the outside, at least for the NFL in general, it's interesting to see two teams that like the Vikings aren't a team that are tied to taking a, a ready-made player yeah. out of college, and they they might take a risk on a Daniel Hunter and go, oh wait, now this guy can do X, Y, and Z as opposed to just A, B, and C. He can do all these things because we were able to mold him to do A, B, and C, and now he has the capability to do all these other things. The thing they do really well, and and Mike Zimmer talked about this a little bit after the film session with the media a couple weeks ago. I think I asked him this question. So when you're looking at film and you see all these things that these guys don't do right, I think a lot of evaluators fixate on that. Zimmer said what they do is they try to say, okay, this guy might not be perfect. He might have flaws in these four or five areas, but he does this one or two things really, really well, and there's a chance to mold some of those things in the future. They're not looking for guys that, are completely finished products, and I think in the over-analysis of the draft, there was a, a great temptation to pick guys to shreds and say, this guy isn't a finished product right now. Why should we even bother with him? I think what they do is say, there's a, a trait here. There's there's a quality here that we can work with, and if we get this guy in our coach's hands, we believe we can get well, it Well, they're, they're open to surprises, too, even in practice. When Daniel, That's what I was going to say. Daniel Hunter all of a sudden stands St- up as, yep. as mocking a 3-4 outside linebacker, yeah, and they the go, wait team. a minute, well, now we're going to run you as that in games. That, to me, uh, to backtrack on, on our conversation about offense and, and a player being told, we don't do that, we can't change that play, I would guess that privately that drives the head coach up the wall because – Defense is his baby, and it's his pride and joy. Adaptability and, is yes, also one and, of his babies. Right, right, right. And and Zimmer always says that his father was a coach and that his father suited his team based on the personnel his father was given, yep. not based on what he was trying to force. The NFL is a classic, we're going to do it my way, and this is how I coach offense and defense, and, and there will be no changes, and I don't care. You will adapt to me. That's a stupid philosophy. Zimmer's philosophy is really smart, which is, Oh, you, you do that well on the scout team in practice? I'm not going to ignore it. I mean, think about how many times that's probably happened in football practices, and a coach says, yeah, but I don't do that. Brad Childress was famous for that. Exactly. So what I'm saying is this all comes back to the fact that what makes this defense so good and what potentially could make this offense improve as the head coach gets more and more say is the adaptability and flexibility that a lot of teams refuse to use. I have to agree with you, Ben. I think uh, defensive line is the deepest on the defense let's pivot to well, actually what's what's the weakest i think safety is the weakest even though harrison smith is probably he was their closest to an all pro last year probably is one of their best players on the team as a whole but you lose him and i you're, agree you're down to uh a bunch of lynch pin, and, and you lose your one lynch and pin, you have say. and you have him and you still don't have the potential probably to do with him what you'd like to do because the guy across from him at the other safety position you don't know as much about still uh yeah i i would say that that would definitely be the weakest, and that's where if they're ever, ever going to make an upgrade, you would think if they sign Smith to a contract extension, which I would guess they would do during training camp, yeah. that eventually you're go- you're going to get someone by him who allows you to do a lot more with Harrison Smith. Yeah, and if you look at the deals they've done now with, uh, it would be Kyle Rudolph, Brand Fusco, Blair, Blair Walsh. Walsh, Jarius Wright. They're all done in training camp or right before the beginning of the season, uh, and that's really the expected timeline right now for Harrison Smith, who is entering the final year of his contract. I would bet about 
5% of Harrison Smith's total contract that it will be done between July 28th and September 10th. Is he allowing you to bet that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to guess. I'm going to bet There's, 15% of that contract that, that yeah, happens right. while you guys are driving to Mankato. While we're That's driving, very yeah. no, 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 no. It'll be the first beer after the first pre- like 12-hour day. Fusco anyway, was while I was um, getting on a plane to St. Louis nice. a couple years ago. Um, one important factor with the Harrison Smith negotiations is Eric Berry is also in the middle of uh, contract talks with the Kansas City Chiefs. And if I'm Harrison Smith, I say let's wait till he gets paid. Yeah, and then I'll top him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, it, it seems like the guy that's going to be the highest paid is the guy that has the newest deal. Exactly. Exactly. And the way the cap is going, it as seems Cam, like as Cam Chancellor will tell you. Um, yeah. Let's move to the offense, where I think the deepest. Wait, pit- hang on. I didn't even get a chance to say what I had the least confidence in. Oh, I thought we all agreed on it's, safety. Yeah, it's also safety. I just wanted to raise oh. a stink for no oh. reason. Well, good. good. Well, carry on. We're all going to agree on the deepest position group for the offense, which ranked, what was it, 17th last year in overall yardage, uh, something like 16th in points, but r- really down, obviously, on the passing side of things. Running back were Adrian Peterson, Jarek McKinnon, Matt Asiata. That's the number one, two, and three, and really any running back trying to make the roster is going to uh, really have to find a break at an injury or something because they're pretty set with the one, two, and three there. Yeah, I, I think the deepest is certainly running back. I mean, both because you have Adrian at the top of it, but because you have guys that can do different things mm-hmm. that have found niches in the offense, even though Adrian is getting most of the carries. I mean, Matt Asiata's niche, I suppose, is partially because of something that you don't really like about Adrian's game, pass protection, but he has also been a guy that's been able to be a decent receiver, and you have Jarek McKinnon, who they started using in a lot of different ways last year. Matt Asiata is your third guy. He had 10 touchdowns two years ago. so The vulture. Yeah, he 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 certainly was. But, I mean, he also, I I think, led that team in all-purpose yards and really was a guy that did a lot more than they would have expected. I mean, they got 1,100-something rushing yards out of those two guys that year when Adrian was gone, and they made it work. So, yeah, I would say running back is the deepest. Judd's yawning. Like, oh, I agree. Oh, what me? I agree completely. No, no, no. It, it's it's a slam dunk. It's what's not the, even. It's not even close. Are there what's, any, the, what's the weakest? Are there any offense? issues about the running back group that you'd like to bring up? Anything stuck in your craw? Oh boy, we don't about, have it. No, like we any, don't have enough time for this. I just have like to see that group work together as a as a whole with McKinnon getting opportunities to play more than he did at times last season. Um, I'm proud of how succinct you were. Uh, trying to get him going. He didn't take the fade. The weakness? <laughs> yeah, the weakest uh, position. The weakest position group on, on offense. A, on offense. Thin, I mean, like thinnest. Not, we're talking well, depth here. Yeah, well, then it'd, it'd be quarterback. Because behind Bridgewater, you have Sean Hill, and you have uh, the kid Stave from Wisconsin. and Don't forget Taylor Heineke. Heineke. I mean, if, if Bridgewater gets hurt, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to hand the ball off even more than you were already, which is a yeah. lot? Should they trade for Nick Foles? No, 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 no. And you know what? The Vikings, the Vikings quarterback position right now doesn't have a lot of depth to it, but it's a it's a product of offenses in 2016. I mean, go through the league right now. How many teams can afford to lose their starting quarterback and be just fine? Well, it's a product of roster construction, too. Exactly. And you could do it. I mean, right now, the highest paid quarterback in the roster is Sean Hill. I mean, you can do you can have a little higher price backup now, but once you have to pay your starter, people don't do it because you can't afford it. Was Sean Hill kept around because they just like the guy and he's a, a good mentor, or what was the thinking behind 
not trying to potentially at least slightly upgrade the back. I'm not saying that you're, you're going to go get a start at a back at Bridgewater, but... When I wrote uh, wrote back in January, just like a preview of the outlook of the position, I had written that, you know, don't be surprised to see them get rid of Sean Hill and bring in another backup that if you had to put him in the game, you wouldn't have to abandon the passing game in, in overtime like they did last year. Um, but a coach told me like, well, it's pretty hard to find a mentor who's willing to mentor and not willing to undercut your starter uh, like Sean Hill is. And that makes sense. Mm, interesting. That makes sense. I mean, they're basically just saying, like, look, there's guys we bring in who are going to be the mentor but want to start. And uh, Look at the guy that Sean Hill replaced, Matt Castle. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Abs- he, yeah. I had people tell yeah. me that, you know, before they made that Buffalo trade, that he was trying to get out of Minnesota because he thought he still had a chance to start somewhere. And we all scoffed about that. But then you look at it, he's starting games for Buffalo and Dallas because the quarterback situation around the league is that bad. And when somebody gets hurt, there's opportunities – I mean, I think he would have done some of it, but he wasn't going to be – and he just wasn't at a point of his career where he was ready to resign himself to this is all I am. And he certainly was trying to get to a place where he had a better chance to start. And yet it's intriguing to me because it's dicey because you – you don't want your starting quarterback to feel like the bat, uh, like the knife is being put into his back, but the competition that can come from a guy who says I should start can be healthy too. Yeah. So when yeah. when you have a guy who's like, yeah, Teddy, what's going on? I'm going to go, you know, throw the football. I'll, I'll watch, and I'm going to go sit there and drink, you know, some Gatorade. <laughs> it's sort of a weird. So, but I'm just saying the it's, dynamic. The dynamic. Sort of a they weird wanna, dynamic. Yeah, the dynamic they want to put around Bridgewater is obviously the more of the uh, mentorship roles around him. Whether you're talking about Norv Turner, Mike sure. Zimmer, uh, Sean Hill. They don't seem to think they need to light a fire under Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but I'm just saying competition is not the worst thing. No. Before we end here, there's an interesting article in The Ringer, guys, about the brewing information war in the NFL now that there was a rule proposal on the table this spring that got shelved for next year uh, regarding instant replay on the sidelines for coaching staff. Now they can only use you know the Polaroids that you see them on the sidelines all the time with the binders and the flip photos. Um, now or you the see Microsoft them with the tablets. Surface, Microsoft Surface tablets that they all call iPads. Or that. That must too. drive Bill Gates and Paul Allen up a wall. <laughs> I wonder if the Seahawks coaches call the, them iPads. The Microsoft co-owner Paul Allen. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how the Seahawks coaches. Does Pete Carroll ever slip up calling an iPad? I'm sure he does. Absolutely, I'm sure he does. All of our Apple iPads, Microsoft Surface tablets. We mean, um, but coaches are against that apparently. And Mike Zimmer was one. He brought it up. I can't remember the context of it. But a couple of beat reporters were talking to him after one of these practices this spring or last month. And somebody had asked him about that, uh, the proposal about being able to see an instant replay, basically all your defensive defensive plays right there on the sideline after the series. And he said he's against it because, look, anybody can see that and coach. And Ron Rivera made some interesting comments, the Carolina Panthers coach, in this article saying, look, I want to get beat on the field. This is me quoting him. I don't want to get beat because someone used a tool or technology. That is not coaching at that point. I want to work all week. I'm preparing to kick your ass. And that's Ron Rivera saying that, and basically probably what Mike Zimmer meant, though we haven't been able to talk to him more in depth. That's interesting to me, that these veteran coaches now are going to be pushing back on what the NFL is trying to do and getting the game to be more accurate, not only through refereeing, but also on the sidelines with more tools for coaches. Um, Mike Zimmer's one of those guys that, like Ron Rivera, would be totally against that. Ron Rivera seems like he'd be fun to cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those, to that seems like he'd be fun to cover, but yeah. I mean... I think I mean it's not just the the tablets. I mean you've heard I think I've heard Aaron Rodgers say this a lot that he feels like there's too much access on the field that he's talked about the microphones. I think I, I saw him say this this week that you hear so much on the field now with all the on-field microphones that are designed to get people closer to the game. 
It's like people are picking up my cadences and I have to change it and do more dummy calls every week because accurate. I don't want people to hear what I'm saying. And the other point he made, I think, is that Randall Cobb had that injury last year. Rodgers and I, I think Cobb, to some degree, were convinced that he fell on the, the microphone pack that he had when he was wired for sound on the field, and that's what caused the injury. I mean, if it's hard to know if that's true. I mean, I think they believe it's true, and I think that was in the area of where the injury was. But if that stuff is happening... Well, now Cobb says he'll refuse to wear it. Yeah, now, yeah, I saw him forward. say that the other day. Was that a lung injury or a kidney? Yeah, what, I think he so. He got basically... He claimed he got an, stabbed by the yeah, yeah, some organ was, injury. Yeah, I, I think know. it was something in that All right. neighborhood. Well, yeah, abdomen. To, to your point, Ben, though, I, I did a uh, – this is when Favre was here. I, in 09, I think, I did a column for the Star Tribune on exactly that, on the cadences that Favre had and, and the calls because he would go to the line of scrimmage and the microphones now pick up every single thing. Yeah. And I was talking to uh, – to, uh, devil about it and going through and, and asking what was what and he rolled his eyes i said what's wrong and he goes we don't want you to hear all that stuff so it does it frustrates coaches because if you go through a game broadcast now you can pick up on everything and a lot of these teams know exactly what that means and what so things to, do have to be changed up now because of the on-field mics and because of all of the different ways that technology has evolved it's interesting to see the veteran coaches though and football people hold out against this stuff because it's coming it won't matter what they think it never matters what they think no exactly it's not going to matter one bit what they think to me though it's different than like robot umpires in baseball because this isn't refereeing this is just coaching tools now now just to be clear we're talking about instead of polaroids being sent down still shots being sent down to the sideline so i can coach my offense or defense when they're when they're on the sideline and not on the field, this is having um, actual. Right now, they're like you said, they're only allowed still shots, right. and this is would allow coaches footage. to look at actual footage, like almost real time, just minutes after. Yeah, that's that's going to be right around the corner. Yeah, and, and these coaches are against it because they feel like they're doing the preparation. Because then you'd be able to look at this more so. I'm assuming the advantages would be more so looking at that and, and identifying motions and formations and identifying when they move this way, they're going to run but it this way. Isn't that just where the game's going, guys? Probably. Yeah, but, I mean, the other thing you wonder about is when we see what the St. Louis Cardinals did to the Houston Astros last year and we hear about all the things the Patriots do, who's going to be the first team that's trying to hack that stuff? If you have... I mean, yeah, if you're looking at game footage, it's probably not a competitive advantage. But if you get to a point where you're making edits and you're writing on the screen, I mean, at but what, what if point one are team we see is that shutting happen? down a replay system for another side or something yeah. like that? Like other all like, the goofy stuff that happens Gillette's, in Foxborough. Or, yeah, 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 exactly. Over there, where coaches are saying they're hearing the radio broadcast of the Patriots in their yeah. headset instead. Right, jammed, that yeah. doesn't happen by accident. No, um, but I, I agree, but. My point, I guess, is this. All this technology is coming, and it should get – it's it's up to the league to clean this up. I mean, if they really think that Gillette Stadium, that the Patriots are doing things, which they might be, but if they really think that, then they need to independently take their own people in there and, and make sure it doesn't happen, right? Because, I mean, none of this technology is not coming, and it's going to get more and more honed, and it's going to get better and better. And, you know, in, in 10 years, coaching staffs will say, 
they really worked with Polaroids. <laughs> what, what the hell is a Polaroid? Well, yeah, and our, our, I guess our parting shots can be there are a couple changes that have will be made now. The New York Central League office will have more say in the replay system, the instant replay system for every NFL game. They have passed that now. That's which, what they went to in the playoffs, right? Yes, which they yes, and that was that was a test run in the playoffs. And now what they're going to do as well is open up different categories for what can be reviewed. So now game clock can be changed based on an instant replay, proper down, uh, penalty enforcement. All those things that you think, okay, that's pretty common sense, weren't reviewable. Like game clock. They could not change the game clock. There was a game last year. I think it was the, the Jaguars and Ravens where like 13 seconds ran off and a team lost and at the end. And it was something where they just couldn't fix it because, oh, well, that's not how we do things. Which is silly, but you also wonder how much of this is going to be the NFL making a mistake that I think it makes a lot in overreaching and not saying – we're going to hire good people and put them in a position to do a good job and let them do it. I mean, if you have the technology, great. But I think the refereeing, centralizing though, things. Do you argue with that though? Because the refereeing is so human error; it happens all no, the time. No, I, I think that's fine. But I mean, what I guess what I'm saying is, is if you want to use the technology, great. But don't spend so much time saying this. This has to come from the league office. Okay. If and, and there were, there have been concerns, obviously, about one crew calling something consistently with what another crew does. I and mean, we heard about that, I think, when Roger Goodell was in town for the Vikings-Packers game in November. He talked about that before the game. But if it's for that purpose, to, to get rid of that, I, I see the logic there. But generally, I, I feel like the NFL has a tendency to sort of get too iron-fisted sometimes. And if you're going to hire referees, give them the training they need and let them do a lot of that work in the stadium. Why are your referees too not full time? I get yeah, that I get has never made crews any not sense. being full time, but the but the head, the head of ref. The, every crew yeah. should be a full full time employee. And the other thing too is the league, and this is the thing that drives me the most nuts, the league's amount of rules that they have that are nebulous and they have these guys try and what's a catch? Well that's the thing. But <laughs> but the rule book itself is it grows every single year and they put more rules in and nobody ever gives any thought to, to the fact that at full speed this stuff's hard to call. I brought up the rule the people book. People making those decisions aren't the people that have to deal with it on Sundays. Competition committee. Yeah, I, I think it might have been You're in March right. when they were bringing up these rule proposals. I brought up the rule book <laughs> while we were doing a podcast, and it was like 130 pages. And I had to remember you guys made fun of me because I had to find the catch rule in there. Yeah. So how long is it going to take you? And the catch rule. 120 pages into it. How can a league that that's successful not tell you what a catch is? Because they sell a product that we can't get enough of. No, I know, but I mean, why not just clean it up? Why not decide what what a catch is? Judd, it's the process. You have to make, you have to establish yourself as a runner. You have to get both feet in bounds. You have to take it home with you and go to bed. You get it. Sleep with football. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Pro Bowl's changing. Yay. Oh, are we really going to talk about that? Do you really want to talk about that? Ninety-five percent of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great because the only thing I care about more than football is spicy pepperoni pizza for kickoff. But on the off chance your order is late. Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. Now that's a spicy offer. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19-2023. Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto-renew at nine ninety nine each month starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimum supply.